Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kopinski, and today Madeline Martin is here to discuss The Keeper of Hidden Books, which is based on the real-life heroic efforts of Warsaw's librarians during World War II. Madeline Martin is a New York Times, USA Today, and international best-selling author of historical fiction and historical romance, with books that have been translated into over 20 languages. Madeline, welcome to A Bookish Home. Thank you for being here, and congratulations on The Keeper of Hidden Books. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm so excited to be here today. As I was sort of mentioning before we started recording, I just adored this book. I thought it was so moving and thought-provoking, and I knew right away this was going to speak to me. A lot of my family came over from Poland, and I'm a librarian, so uh, as soon as I heard this description, I was eager to read, and it did not disappoint. It was just riveting, so um, I'm really excited to get to talk about it today. So for listeners who haven't gotten to pick it up yet, can you tell us more about the premise of The Keeper of Hidden Books? Yes. So um, the premise of The Keeper of Hidden Books is really based off of these incredible accounts that I found from Warsaw's public librarians during the Nazi occupation. Um, And so I I really wanted to sort of write a story that showcased um, these like secret libraries that they had, like a little hidden warehouse that they had for these books that the Nazis were um, basically trying to go through and destroy all of Polish culture, including the books. And so they were pulping these books like by the truckload and um, and they were really just completely ravaging Polish, um, you know, really the, the legacy of Poland. And um, and so I thought, oh, this would be like a really incredible book to write. And, and so that's kind of where I got the idea for this particular book. Well, I, I certainly had not known about this aspect of history um, and really hadn't thought about what it would have meant for libraries under occupation at the time. And it was really compelling to see librarians and, and everyday people really risking their lives for the sake of, of books and culture. And I w- was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of the real people involved. I know some are fictionalized, some are real, but um, anything you can tell us about maybe some of the real librarians or everyday people that were doing this really dangerous work? Right. Um, I mean, really, it was like the whole library staff. Um, So the the public library, um, the Warsaw Public Library had several um, different branches. It had like dozens of reading rooms all throughout Warsaw. And really all of these employees worked very hard together to do what they could. So, um, you know, little things like um, toward the end of the war, when the uprising was coming, they built up false walls to have to um, keep books behind to keep them protected. And in the event that people did come in, it would look like a bricked up wall. Um, They, um, you know, some of the people that inspired it were the directors who, I mean, risked their lives and sometimes were even arrested trying to do what they could to protect not only the books themselves and some of the um, historical materials that they contained, but even the employees. There was one particular point in the beginning of the occupation where all of the Jewish employees were let go and people did stand up and try to defend them. And I mean, you know, it, it didn't do any good, but but they really did try very hard to do what they could to save um, the books. And um, one of the women actually was a famous author's um, uh, sister-in-law who she was part of it, Wanda Dabrowski. 
And um, I didn't, but the thing is, it's so hard to write about real people when you don't have significant amounts of information on them. And so I, I mentioned their names and I incorporated them, but for the most part, I really do fictional characters just because um, without extensive amounts of information on real people, I don't feel like I have a right to write about them, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. No, that does make sense. And one of the things I thought was so interesting too, that felt so often historical novels feel so timely, um, unfortunately, but yeah. um, the at the outset, um, the characters are reading, they, they form a banned book club and they're reading books that um, Hitler has banned. And of course, we're seeing right now lots of people across the country trying to ban a whole lot of books. So that felt very timely to me, but I really hadn't known much about um, the books being banned at the time. I mean, I assumed things were, but I hadn't really thought about, you know, in the countries that were being occupied, what that would look like. So could you tell us a little bit about like what kinds of books the Nazis were banning and how that worked for kind of everyday citizens? Right. Um, so they basically were banning pretty much anything that was by, um, initially it was people who were Jewish and then it was people who were Polish, um, you know, loyalists who, who really, who were so loyal to Poland that it was basically what they, what they, the way that they referred to it in the very beginning was anything that could cause um, an issue between Polish German relations, which I mean, the fact that they were occupying Poland, you would think <laughs> would really have right. done. <laughs> really, it was just an excuse for them to get rid of a lot of these books. And, um, and, you know, this was impactful, not only in libraries, but even in bookstores, like in bookstores, for example, they took over the printing presses. People were only allowed to print what they approved. Um, the general government, which is what they called the Nazi occupation in um, in Poland. And um, so they would be printing with these printing presses and everything else that was in the middle of being printed was completely destroyed. Um, even when you would go into the bookstores, all of the book fronts no longer had, you know, the new upcoming books in the windows. They had pictures of Nazi war heroes and um, and pictures of Hitler and swastika flags. So, you know, even just the entire book community and book culture really was impacted by this. And when I create my characters for my books, I do a significant amount of research on the um, on the entire country and its history, economic and government beforehand. And that's where I kind of get my idea for how the character is going to be based off of really the the kind of like temperature of, of how I feel the country kind of has at that particular moment. But I knew that I wanted Zofia's character to be very rebellious as a result. I mean, when you look at Poland prior to um, the Treaty of Versailles being signed in 1918, they had been occupied by Russia for 125 years. They finally regained Polish independence for 20 years right after the Treaty of Versailles was signed up until the Nazi occupation. And then they didn't have, and then the Soviet Union came in and occupied them basically, and they didn't have independence again until 1989. So this is a country that has fought so hard for generations for their freedom. And I knew that Zofia needed to be rebellious as a result. And I really, of course, wanted her to be a book lover because I love my characters be book lovers because, well, spoiler alert, I'm a book lover. <laughs> and, um, and so I thought, what would a rebellious book lover do? And I thought, well, she would obviously read 
the banned books. They would, she would read books that Hitler's been burning, that Hitler doesn't want people to read, that he's banning in his own country. And, and of course, she doesn't want to do it alone because nothing is very fun alone. So I thought that the book club would be a nice way of doing that, bringing in her friends, having them read about it and having them talk about it. And, um, you know, one thing that was really important for me, too, was for her to have certain aspects of her life that are revealed to her as she's reading these books. To, because I feel like that's the wonderful thing about books, right, is that sometimes it lets you see different perspectives of your life that you didn't know were being covered up. And then it's like when you read it, it almost kind of just like uh, reveals, like sheds a light on that part of your life. And you're like, oh, it's been here this whole time. And I didn't even think of thinking of it that way. Yeah. And that was really important to kind of showcase that as well. Yeah. And, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking, there were so many things I was reading that w- what this book was getting me thinking about is just, oh, my gosh, that feels so timely and relevant. That feels so timely and relevant. Like, why haven't we learned that lesson yet? You know, the interesting thing is I didn't even write it with the intention of it being a timely book. Um, I, I happened to actually be reading through my galleys. I had just gotten my galleys back and I was reading through the news beforehand, i.e. procrastinating. <laughs> and I happened to see an article talking about more books being banned in schools. And then I started reading my galleys and I realized, oh my gosh, this is an incredibly, unfortunately, timely book. Um, so I really didn't even go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to be really making this about an agenda of of banned books. I really just was writing about it from that time period and what they were going through. And it really has so much relevance still today. Right. Just the way history keeps repeating itself. And right. even, you know, not to give too much away, but there are scenes with everyday citizens kind of taking up arms in the cities to defend themselves. And that just... Um, made me think of Ukraine and um, everyday people trying to defend their, their country. And, and then the other thing I thought was so interesting, and I think that historical novels are so important for this because it's very different to just read dates on a timeline versus like really experiencing it through characters. But you talk about kind of the temperature of, of, of the country and the way that the temperature just keeps keeps slowly being cranked up and cranked up and cranked up, particularly for the Jewish population in Poland. Yes. We, of course, know looking back what's going to happen. But when you're experiencing it through these characters, you just see how everyone is being so manipulated. Like at first, it's just, you know, not just, but, you know, they, um, I'm sorry, what's her friend's name? Oh, um, Yanina. So first it's her family. Um, Their store is in danger because they're not going to be able to have the store anymore. And then it's, you know, then they have to start wearing the star or the armband. And like, then it's, oh, are they going to have to move apartments? Oh, yes, they are going to have to move apartments. And they're going to have to go into the ghetto. It's just thing after thing after thing. Right. Oh, they they have to leave school. And as all of that's happening, the other thing is just the misinformation being um, fed to try to turn Polish people against the Jewish population. It just felt, I just think these are such important reads to really be like putting yourself in these characters' shoes and seeing how this can happen. Absolutely. Um, It is so slowly. How easily it could happen with these small little bites. Like it really is just teeny little tiny things, little drops in a bucket that eventually fill it up and it overflows, you know? Right. They keep seeing what they can get away with and that people aren't 
you know, standing up for them or, um, yeah, just keeps being turned a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So I just thought that was fascinating. And the other thing it reminded me of, I think anyone who read and enjoyed The Nightingale would really like this book. It made me think of like, that was very much seeing what it was like for kind of women under the occupation in France. And this is more similar, but in Poland. So I think that that would be a good read alike for people. And I wondered too, did you do any travel or like in-person research for the book? Yes. So I actually went to Warsaw for two weeks to do research for this. And I stayed in this lovely little flat in Old Town, which um, it was amazing when I got there. I Whenever I get to a research, because I, I love to travel for research because I feel like it just, um, it's almost like it takes this black and white picture and just paints it with these beautiful, vibrant colors in my head. And the first thing I do whenever I get to a research site is um, like whenever I kind of get into my hotel is I like to do a search for museums near me. And there were so many museums that were all within walking distance in Warsaw. It really was incredible. They had the Uprising Museum that I took three days to go through. <laughs> um, I, I got to go to um, Paviak Prison and um, I went there for two days and I was able to find some really incredible tour guides as well. This one woman, um, she put together four eight-hour tours for me, and um, and we also got an hour for lunch as well. And she talked the entire time. I mean, just she answered all of my questions. She even I have her email address, and I still email her questions, and she'll still get back with me. Um, and my it's funny because I've always brought my family with me when I go on these trips as well. And so when my mom found out that I was going to Poland, she said, oh, dibs. So she came with me and she was such a trooper going through uh, all of these tours and everything with me as well. It was it was really um, it was really an incredible experience, especially because she reads all of my books. And so when I was writing this, knowing that she's going to be reading it, you know, and remembering our trip while she goes through and, and sees how I applied all of that research into the novel. That's so interesting. And at what point in your process do you typically take a research trip like that? Is it when you're still sort of sketching things out or when you've maybe gotten a draft and you sort of know where you need more research? It's when I've gotten to a good chunk of research done. It's almost sort of like filling in the gaps of research. So I usually do about 10 months worth of research before I even start drawing up the characters because I feel like you can't like for me, at least I can't draw up the characters until I know the country because somebody who has been born and raised in England is going to be so vastly different than somebody who was born and raised in Poland and, um, and, and, you know, America and France and, and everywhere. And so I really try hard to, I, I'll obviously have ideas percolating in the background, but as far as really putting together, like the, the way that it kind of goes is I do research and then I do um, my trap, my trip, a little bit more research, put together my character sheet, put together my plot and then write like a, like crazy to make sure that I get it done in time by my deadline. <laughs> yeah. And that initial research that you're doing, because your characters do feel so of their setting and time and, and all of that. So um, you, know, you do that so well. What do you find the most helpful? Is it interviews that you find, photographs, diaries? What What is most helpful for you? as you're doing that initial research? Probably firsthand accounts. Um, with this particular book, I have over 100 nonfiction books that I used to put together my research. Um, I have over 15 spiral-bound notebooks hand filled with handwritten notes. So it's really 
um, reading those firsthand accounts. So, so a lot of that is like just understanding the facts, but then reading those firsthand accounts and, and the emotion there and, um, and just how people felt, you know, what was it that was overriding? Was it, you know, was it fear? Was it hunger? You know, really getting into the minds of people who had to go through these awful things um, and, and really understanding um, all of that in firsthand accounts is, is probably the most important. Well, I want to back up a little bit and talk about your writing journey because you've kind of gotten into this place of your um, writing these just really fascinating kind of niche books that have um, World War II ties, um, but also books. And mm-hmm. but I think you you also write historical romance, and and so I just kind of wondered what your writing journey has been like, and if you're writing both now or. Mm-hmm this is sort of what you've switched to. I'm just kind of curious about all of that. Yeah, it was, it's definitely been quite the journey. So I've been writing for, um, I think about 13 years now and I started off writing romance. Um, I, I had about five years of that, that I really just was completely learning. It was learning the craft, um, going to conferences, listening to like books on tape, making sure that I was the best writer that I could make myself become. And then, um, I started publishing, I believe in, Oh gosh, I think 2015. So I was working a day job at the time and I was actually a single mother as well. And um, I was a business analyst and I was, I started really kind of doing a lot of uh, historical romance. I was writing about six to eight books a year and working a full-time job. So I'd always joke that I I was a full-time mom, full-time writer and full-time business analyst. Oh my and, gosh, and six to eight books a year. Oh my gosh. It was, I know, it was a lot. And so um, I knew that I always wanted to write a historical fiction. And, um, but, you know, it's a historical fiction requires so much more research. It requires so much attention to detail. I mean, ultimately, the history of the book is really an, a character in and of itself. And it's just as important as the protagonist. So it really is important to make sure you get everything right. So um, in February 2020, I actually got laid off from my job. We just didn't have enough work. And I thought, oh, thank goodness, you know, I, I'm going to have time. I know it sounds bad to say, but, <laughs> but I was exhausted <laughs> from writing six to eight books a year and working a full-time job for several years. And so I thought, you know, this is a really wonderful time to try my hand at a historical fiction. And I was so looking forward to having the house to myself after all these years of writing and being in 2020. (laughs) Because like three weeks later, the pandemic happened and everybody came home. (laughs) But I was still able to write The Last Bookshop in London. And, um, And honestly, that so when I was writing romance, it's funny because I wrote medieval and I wrote Regency and I wrote like the, you know, 1600s and I kept switching historical genres. Like I would research for a year and then start writing and I'd research a year and start writing. And so then I realized after having written the last bookshop in London, oh my goodness, I just like the research. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I really do feel like I have found very much my niche with writing historical fiction. And, um, but I, I do still plan to write some historical romance, just definitely not six to eight books a year anymore. Um, but, but writing the last bookshop in London really did absolutely change my life. I love that. And for, for people who haven't read that one, can you just tell us the premise of that as well? Yes. Um, so the last bookshop in London takes place during the blitz in London and, um, 
And this is about a woman who actually is not much of a reader because she just really hasn't had the time. And she ends up working in this bookshop with this curmudgeonly bookshop owner. And really, it's almost like a celebration and a love of reading. And because, of course, she falls in love with reading. And it's it's almost like really just celebrating the book community and how reading and the love of books can get us through some of the darkest times. I love that. And the idea of the book community is making me think of, do you have a writing community that has helped you along this way or authors that that have helped you? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was initially with uh, Romance Writers of America, and I learned so much about writing from the Romance Writers of America, going to conferences, um, not just the big ones, but even the small little local ones and entering contests, really finding my friend group there. And now I have three other authors that the four of us text each other constantly, nonstop, every single day, including on the weekends. And that's Lori Ann Bailey, um, Eliza Knight, and Brenna Ash. And, um, And so the four of us, we actually do a couple of retreats every year together. We all know everything that's going on in each other's lives. We help each other plot. We read through each other's stuff for one another. I mean, it's, it's, um, I'm so grateful to have them in my life. <laughs> That's so lovely. Um, yeah. You, I'm, I'm curious because the conference, well, it had already happened by the time this airs, but do you do the Historical Novel Society conference or any of that? Um, and I'm, I'm my first year going to Historical Novel Society. Oh, um, I'm going too. Oh, that's so <laughs> I'm trying to write a historical fiction book. I'm actually yeah. doing two panels. I'm doing one about social media and I'm doing one about weaving in fact and fiction um, into that one. So, Oh, yay. Okay. I'll definitely have to check one of those out. I'll yeah. Meet you in person. That's so exciting. Yes. Oh, that'll be so nice. And they have, they seem to have a lot of great resources for anyone who's maybe like another aspiring uh, historical fiction writer. Well, kind of going along those lines, are there uh, books that you have read lately that you'd want to recommend? I'm wondering, do you read in your genre a lot? Do you read a lot of other things? What's your kind of reading life like? And, and what would you recommend? So I am the mother of two teenage daughters now, which means that I drive like five hours a day. <laughs> so I do a lot of audiobooks, and um, and then I, I try to reward myself at night too by being able to sit down and read a book. And um, I read pretty much everything. I read, um, you know, I do read historical fiction. I read zombie apocalypse. I read YA dystopian. I read thrillers. I read pretty much everything, and I try to do a classic a month as well. And, um, but I will say that two books that I have recently read that I thought were just so incredibly well done, and they both happen to be historical fiction, but one is The Little Wartime Library by Kate Thompson, um, which is about, um, a tube station during World War II during the Blitz that, um, in London that was not completed. And so they let people live down there to keep them safe. And there was a library that started there. And it's about that library. And, um, and Kate is just such a lovely person. I absolutely adore her. Um, and, and the book was just, I mean, I laughed, I cried, I had all the feels. It really was just so good. And, um, and then, um, the other one is, Lessons in Chemistry. (laughs) I just read that one as well. And it was so, so, so good. And I confess the 60s are not my favorite time period. And chemistry is definitely not my favorite subject in school. And so, um, but I ended up reading it for my book club. And I could not put it down once I started. I was completely, you know, completely 
uh, completely invested in that book. It was so good. <laughs> I have got to read that this summer because I feel the same way. I, I I keep hearing it recommended and I'm like, well, I'm not like into chemistry and it's not my favorite time period. But then everybody I talk to, like, you have to read it. So I think that's yes, going to go on I, my summer was, reading list. I was 100% surprised that I was completely invested as much as I was. It was, I, I couldn't recommend it more. Oh, great. Maybe I can convince, I, I have a, a book club coming up and we'll have to pick books. Maybe I can convince my book club to read it because that would be fun. Ooh, um, fine. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm wondering at what stage your next book is in and if you're able to tell us a little bit about it and maybe I'm wondering if you're like deep in the research phase right now. So this one, I've actually just started writing this week. Um, my husband and I are leaving for a delayed honeymoon next week to Italy. So I'm trying oh, to get as much written as possible. Um, but so I can't tell you too much about the actual plot itself. But I will say that, um, and people already know this because I went to Nottingham to do research in England, but it is another World War II and it does take place in Nottingham, England. And of course, there are books involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if, and, and congratulations if you're going on a belated honeymoon, um, I wonder if Italy is going to spark your imagination when you're there. Oh, I know. I mean, we'll just have to see. <laughs> yeah, that would be, you know, I don't, I really haven't read much World War II set in Italy. Well, I did read Our Darkest Night, Jennifer Robson. That might be the only one. So that could be. I wonder what kind of book bookish things were happening in Italy during. Oh, the war. I know. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to definitely do some like some reconnaissance while I'm there. Yeah. Well, I guess lastly, you know, as people pick up the Keeper of Hidden Books, you know, as we're talking, it has not come out yet. But sort of, what do you hope that people take away from the book as they read? Um, you know, I really, I, I want people to kind of come away. Um, kind of appreciating what Poland really did go through during World War II. Um, you know, I mean, the Jewish population and the Polish population, I mean, obviously the Jewish population suffered so, so, so much. So I don't want to take away from that. But there was so much suffering going on in Poland. There was almost 6 million people who were killed. And, um, and the underground Polish state was incredibly well organized. I think it was the most organized resistance group in all of Europe during World War II, including um, the underground schools that they had. They had they even had an underground court that would try people in abstantia and and then send people to execute these collaborators and Nazis who were found guilty. Um, it, it really was just so incredible the resilience and the way that their fighting spirit never abated. Um, when they did finally get to the point of doing the Warsaw Uprising, it was this incredibly huge event that the entire city celebrated. In fact, um, so the Keeper of Hidden Books comes out on August first. And August 1st is the actual day that um, the Warsaw Uprising began. And today in Warsaw at, at 5 p.m., which is W hour on August 1st, the entire city goes completely silent except for these commemorative sirens that blare out. And oh, wow. Incredibly profound. Yeah. You know, it's making me want to delve more into um, my own family history in Poland. I know, I don't know if it was for sure during the war, but I remember hearing that my family was getting letters from Poland at one point that like they were eating grass, there was nothing to eat um, and, you know, asking for help from, from family and things. And I would imagine it was probably under the occupation, but I'm, I, I bet that it will probably spark 
you know, people wondering about, you know, maybe what their own family experienced during World War II as well. And um, right. yeah, it's just fascinating. Well, I really hope that listeners go keep uh, go pick up a copy of The Keeper of Hidden Books. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. And I just think it's such a compelling read, a very timely read, and one where the characters will stick with you for a very long time. So I really hope that um, people go read it. And just congratulations and best of luck um, with your next writing project. Thank you so much, Laura. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me on A Bookish Home, too. This has been wonderful. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.